Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class is sponsored uh, for the Fuash Lema of Albert Maslatona Cohen, sponsored by Joel and Avi Oster. Fuash Lema Bekarov. As well, dedicated in loving memory of Sammy's father, Morris Sutton, Lava Shalom, Leun Shmat, Moshe Ben Adel, sponsored by friends of Sammy Sutton in the Kahal. And as well, to let you all know that the Arayat for Sammy's father is going to be on Thursday. Um, the Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated loving memory of Nishmat Shimon Ben Esther, Alava Shalom, sponsored by Benedetto Mivorach Kahlun. And uh, as well, uh, as a happy birthday to Orion, sponsored by his wife Sheba Barzilai. Um, and dedicated loving, loving memory of Tera Hakim, Alea Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Tera Bat Frida, sponsored by the Ajmi family. And lastly, sponsored by Shai Mahani in honor of the Kahala Haslacha Bakol for success in everything. Kobru today and this week is dedicated in honor of Rochelle Syed, sponsored by her sons, Allah Syed. Okay. No, that's not the name of her sons. That, uh, just to be clear, means Hashem should help and Hashem should uh, support and, and take care of. Okay. Let's begin. Our parasha this week discusses primarily all of the big adim, all of the clothing of the, uh, of the uh, Kohen Gadol. And it's a fascinating idea, this. This concept that the clothes of the Kohen Gadol deserve this much attention in the Pesukim. So we have all of Tetzaveh describing the eight garments of a Kohen Gadol and the four garments of a regular Kohen. And as well, again, in the Parashah of Pikudeh, as well, it tells us all about how they made those garments. And again, we're literally going into uh, uh, the manufacture of shmatas. I think maybe this was a fore, this was maybe a foreshadowing of how many Jews would go into the manufacture of clothing. Uh, you know, this was, I guess, white label. There was no label on these. Uh, no one had, no designer had got had laid there, laid claim onto these clothes other than Hashem Himself. Um, but there's an extraordinary amount uh, of of input put into into this, which seems a little bit uncharacteristic of the Torah. Like, is there any other place where you read about Avraham Avinu? And Avraham Avinu goes to the Akedah with his son, and he is wearing a shawl by Versace, matched with shoes from Prada, right? No one cares what he's wearing. There's never a time where it bothers us. Does Moshe have a uniform? He doesn't. It doesn't tell us what he wears. Does uh, Eliyahu Hanavi, do they have clothing that was set aside for the prophets? It's only here where we read about the importance of clothing and such exact measurements and specifications in the material. Everything is so, 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 so important. So what is it that the Torah is trying to communicate to us with this intense focus on the clothing of the Kohanim? And I think that there's a very powerful lesson. There's a very powerful lesson um, in, this, uh, in, in this extensive uh, deep dive into the clothing of the Kohanim. And that is that perhaps, um, like the Mishkan itself, it is not that God needs a Mishkan, but rather that we need it. It is not the Kohanim that need these beautiful clothing, rather it is we that need it. There's a famous fable called the Emperor's Clothes where the emperor basically uh, convinces everybody that he's wearing these magnificent magic clothing that you only can see if you're really, really smart, okay? Anyway, the emperor goes out, bezillet, that means naked, he's going out with no clothing on, and he's walking down the road, and everyone, no one wants to feel like a dib, like a fool, so they turn to the guy, they're like, wow, look at his clothing, look at his clothing, because, you know, everybody knows these are the magic clothes of the emperor. You know, if you're looking at the clothes and you can't see them, you're a fool. So everyone, till finally, 
one fool admits it and says, the emperor is wearing no clothing. The emperor has no clothes. And suddenly a hue and a cry go up because people now have the courage to actually say what the other guy said because they don't feel alone. And now the emperor is revealed for the, uh, for the naked uh, exhibitionist that he is currently being. Okay? My, my friends, there's a deep lesson in that parable. But I think that in, maybe perhaps in contradistinction, we're reading something the opposite way around. Many, many times, uh, the people can be fooled into thinking that no clothes is actually clothing. But the opposite is also true. That people can be fooled into thinking that the clothing actually matters. That the way a person presents himself indicates that if a person is wearing a pocket square, and that means that he's genteel, and that means that he's sophisticated, and that means that the person has his life together. And the person who's walking around maybe in jeans and a t-shirt, that guy has not figured it out. He's working a minimum wage job. You know, it took someone like Steve Jobs to upend the entire perception of the way a successful businessman could allow themselves to be present, to, to present themselves. So he wore his trademark, you know, turtleneck and a pair of jeans. And the man built the company that for God knows how, how long had the largest cash stockpile of any company in American history, and perhaps even in the world. Now, this concept that the clothes make the man is actually untrue. It's the clothes make the man in the eyes of the people that believe that the clothes make the man. But it's not only with regards to the clothing that a person wears. You see, the Zohar writes that the same way we have physical clothing that sits on top of our body, there's also a clothing that every person wears, not, like, not much unlike the emperor's new clothes. We all walk around in a certain sense naked, where we feel vulnerable, we feel that people can see inside our hearts. They know how we think, they know how we feel, they understand our insecurities and our failures. And if ever there's something wrong with you, if God forbid, you know, you had a pimple on your nose, you walk into the synagogue, immediately you think, what is everybody looking at? My pimple, right? What you looking at? You know, you started, guys are looking at you, right? If you feel embarrassed by something, if there's something going on with you, if you just, nobody knows, but you just lost, you know, a massive amount of money, or you're now, your company's folding, you walk into the shul, no one could know a thing, but you feel everyone's eyes on you. So a lot of this happens in our minds and in the minds of the people we interact with. So what the Torah he was doing was it was saying, the Kohen Gadol, really he could walk in in jeans and a t-shirt. But the people need to believe that the Kohen Gadol is on an elevated status. They need to invest that faith in him. Because how do you go to the Kohen Gadol and do teshuvah for your most heinous crimes? How do you bring a korban and believe that if the korban is brought by this man, then I will be clean once again? You have to believe that this person can do that. And God, aware of the puny minds of mice and men, God, aware of the way that we look at the world and the investment that we make into physical perceptions, right? Those type of things, you know? So God says, I need to dress the Kohen Gadol for the part so that the people will believe that their sins can be forgiven through Him. You know, sometimes you have a scenario where you go to a, you need a big piece of advice. And a lot of times, you know, a person would like, they like to go to a rabbi with a long white beard, give sage advice, he strokes his beard a few times, and he tells you something. You come to a guy like me, I don't have no beard. 
Maybe I have the emperor's new beard. You know, you can only see it if you're wise. I don't know, right? But sometimes the image itself that the person doesn't look like a sage is enough for a person to not believe that that person is a sage. In fact, the Talmud tells us a remarkable story. In the time of the Beit HaMikdash, when there were miracles that were happening in a much more prevalent way, there was a rabbi whose name was Rabban Gamliel. Now, Rabban Gamliel was acting in the interest of the community, but he did something that perhaps the community and the other leaders mistook. They thought he had done it for the sake of power or for the sake of self-aggrandizement. So they told him, you know, we don't want you to do this job anymore to lead the people. We're going to have someone else come and they're going to take over the job. And who'd they bring in? They brought in an incredibly wise, sharp young rabbi, Shatra, right? Put together, knew everything, but the guy was very young. According to some opinions, he was only 18 years old, but he was brilliant. There were in small instances of very, very young leadership sprinkled throughout the Jewish people. The Ramah, Rav Moshe Isselis in Krakow, also was appointed to his job at a very young age. You have cases of rabbis that were instituted at the age of 13 years old. They knew all of the Gemara, all of the Shulchan Aruch, they could rule. So you have weird cases like that, but that's not the norm. So the fellow, on his first day, he uh, goes to bed and he tells his wife, you know, they're never going to listen to me. I look like I'm a kid, I'm 18 years old, my beard is all white. The morning he wakes up and a miracle had occurred and the pigmentation in his, in his hair had changed and he woke up with white hair. And suddenly they gave him uh, uh, the, the respect he deserved. Now I always thought about this Gemara. If you went to bed one night with black hair and everyone knew you, and you walked in the next day, before you had, you know, hair for men, <laughs> where you could change instantly the color of your hair, I think people maybe respected him because instantaneously, the guy had a miracle happen to him with his hair. Maybe that's why. But the point is, he looked the part, he looked sage, he looked wise. So they bought his advice. They were willing to accept his opinion. So many times, when you're working with people, you're working with an incomplete and an inefficient set of judgment of standards. Sometimes people think that if a guy is rich, he knows a lot about money. It's not true. Guy might have inherited the job. Maybe all he did was not screw up the company his father gave him. So how do you know you rely on this guy? It might be much better to go to some guy for, you know, for advice who's actually seen all of the vicissitudes of business. And you know what? He hasn't made it yet, but he knows good and well how businesses run how teams operate, how to be able to navigate, you know, in the IRS. This guy who's doing really well, he may have a grandfather deal in with his building that you can't get. So many times our, our perceptions create our reality. But I always love the fact that God is noticing this about us. He's noticing this about the minds of mice and men. And he's, so to speak, making an allowance for it. In life also, such is the case. There are many times where we would wish that our wives would see, would understand. Or our children would understand, they would get it. You have to treat one child differently than the other. And we hope that the other kid, he gets it. You don't need as much money. You have a successful business. This guy doesn't. If I don't give him more, he won't have. He's, he can't send his kids to school. I'm taking care of him in an, in an asymmetrical way to everybody else. You hope that the kids get it. But there's a lot of times that they don't. You're punishing me, Dad, for being successful? How many times have I heard that? My father punished me for being, what, he wants me to be a bum like my brother? That's what he wants? He's rewarding my brother for his lack of success. Maybe he's part of the problem. 
You have these things. People think in their own minds, people have perceptions of things, and they believe that to be the reality. What the Torah here is teaching us is, accept the fact that people's perception will create their reality. And even if your wife was waiting for you for however long, and you have all the reasons in the world, she feels like you abandoned her. That, you know, you left her at the table, you didn't come back. You know, you're spending all the time over there with your friends having a great time, and I'm here by myself at your friend's party, where I don't know anybody, and I feel like a zboon, I feel like a dib. You hear that? The perception of that person is the reality. Even if afterwards you try and communicate it, if a person looks at life this way, then they always take that extra precaution to make sure not to explain later, but to explain first. When you explain first, you have a chance for the dialogue. You have a chance for the conversation. You go, you tell the boy, listen, I know this is going to upset you, but I'm thinking of doing this because you don't need it and he needs it, etc., etc. And, you know, and the guy will bring up his points, the son, to the dad. What will the dad say back to the son? He says, you're right. But I shouldn't give him, should, you think that's the right thing? That he should have to take his kids out of a Jewish school and put them into non-Jewish if that's not what he wants? Do you think, you know, the guy is going to have to move out of his apartment, he'd have to leave, go to another place because he can't afford, you think that's the right thing? If I could really help him? And it might come at your expense, but do you think that that's right? A lot of times, when you've showed the person who has their personal perception, when you show them another angle before you acted, that allows them to step into another understanding. We see all of this from the fact that God who could not care less what the Kohen Gadol was wearing, spent all this time ensuring that the people who came to the Kohen Gadol would have the proper respect so that when they came for Teshubah, they would actually believe that it was something that he could do and that he could achieve with God. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chananya Ben HaKashah Omer. Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zuchot